this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and we have a real treat today. We have the producer, director, and lead actor of a new film, Joe Murphy, and a really very incredible actress, Meg Alfonso, who are here to talk about The Place Just Right. So welcome. Thank you. you. I'd like to just start with where did the idea for this film come from? Well, I guess it really uh, kind of two things came together. Uh, One is the movie, for the audience who hasn't seen it yet, it's not a silent movie, but most of it takes place without dialogue. The story is it takes place after a global pandemic has left almost everybody, well, most everybody dies, and all the survivors are left unable to speak. So the story takes place, or the action, without words. Um, because I, just as a, somebody who likes to watch movies, I always was drawn to, to movies, whether it was, say, a, a whodunit or a, a horror movie where you know, maybe there's one person being... Uh, trying to figure something out, one person being stalked, and, or just two people who are communicating without words. And body language, facial expressions can, can really convey so much. As opposed to sometimes you get a talky movie where everyone's just jabbering and, and it's, it's oftentimes not as interesting. Yeah, um, I, I found watching it, it made me focus on exactly those things. You were constantly trying to interpret what was happening. It made you much more engaged than the usual sit back with a popcorn kind of thing that happens before you. You were on the edge of your seat. There was very quiet suspense in it, but it was the kind of suspense that made you participate as, as it went along. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because that was my hope when, when writing it, conceiving it, and making it is you really do have to – a movie like this, if you're not going to have a lot of dialogue, you really do need to draw the audience in and have them kind of participating in, in, in the story. So. so where did the impetus to make a movie – it's a huge undertaking. What, what do you do in your other life? Well, in, I – Past ten years, I was for most part. Of, uh, most of the past ten years, I was an, an attorney. To about a year ago, I transitioned to doing more um, environmental policy advocacy and research work. Um, but to answer your question as to how did I get into to this movie making business, um, I actually this is my second film. I, I fifteen years ago, I kind of I was uh, kicking around down in Washington D.C. Then I moved to New York. I seemed like a lot of fun. I knew some friends who were actors, directors, writers. And so I, I, I jumped into that world and uh, did a first low-budget feature. And you know, long story short, uh, ended up meeting my wife, doing the whole family thing. So I thought, <laughs> okay, well, we need to get a real career. So I went to law school and uh, became a lawyer. And, but now, you know, after 10 years of settling in, having the kids, you know, you're, you're, you're a little more settled. I just got the itch again. And I thought, you know, what the heck? I've done it before. I can do it again. And I had this idea, and I thought, this isn't something that I could do on a very low-budget slash no-budget basis. And, uh, and so what I had to do then is, now I've got, I wrote the story, now I've got to find some actors. I'm this yeah, well, I want to hear about Meg. Sure. I heard before we started that you met through your wife's yoga class. You were in the same class. Tell us about how you became an actress and a little about yourself as an actress. Well, um, 
you mean like how he found out I was an no, actress? No, how, how you yourself, I read in your I, website, it started at age five. I've I think. been performing since I was tiny. So like I had a big, huge voice always. So I would sing in church when I was little. Um, I started dancing when I was five years old and I did ballet and that was performance. And then when I was in high school, I found theater. And through theater, I found my love, which was acting. So I did like um, community theater and regional theater. And I went on to study musical theater. I studied with um, the Dina Levy Theater Studio in New York City, which is Meisner Technique, which is all about um, using the other actor and like what they're doing to play off of them, which is what I loved about Joe's film is because while I wasn't speaking, there was a lot of me playing off of him or me playing off of what was going on around us. So there was so much like with the physical acting that we were able to nicely balance like our facial expressions, what we wanted to convey, because it was all strictly, you know, impasse, you know, trying to get to like the root of the emotion and the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but I'm going to give just enough so that I can ask you some other questions. Mm. So what happens is with this pandemic, it starts where it's like an, an old fashioned Xerox machine running off notices about it. And then it it goes to a scene in the winter and the seasons seem very important in the film. You get a whole sense of the time passing where a man and a woman are clearly very, very sick and dying and then it cuts to a verdant spring scene with Joe in his character and his two children and it becomes very clear as he looks at the wedding picture on the wall that He's lost his wife to this pandemic. And the children ultimately go on a journey with him where they end up at your place. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) the thing that's really amazing is how much you do just with, as he said, facial expressions and gestures. Because it's clear that you want to be kind, but you want to protect your place. And um, as the movie progresses... And I don't know, it, there's a whole genre of travel, travel literature, you know. Yeah, Huck Finn, Down the River with Jim, and Kerouac, and it has a lot of those qualities of on the road. Tell us about why you did the on the road thing, and, and as you travel with your children in the movie, what kinds of things it is that you learn and come across. Sure. Well, in terms of kind of behind the camera, one of the reasons why we did it is we, we kind of turned lemons into lemonade. So this was an extremely small budget movie. So we tried to turn that on its head and make that an advantage in that normally if you got a lot of money, you're hiring people, you're bringing them in for a few weeks, if it's larger budget, a few months, and it's very intense. You're working, shooting six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, long hours. And then everybody goes away. Um, what we did is we said, well, we can't do that. But what we can do, let's find out when people are available. Let's come in and shoot on a weekend. And then if we need to come back two months later, do the next scene, fine, we did that. We actually shot over the course of several years. Oh, my goodness. And I, I thought it was one year because of the seasons. But well, yeah. that enabled us to shoot in winter, 
shooting mm-hmm. summer, shooting fall, and we incorporated that into the movie. So you, the story, you can see the timeline progressing in the story. You can. Whereas if, you had, if we had more money, we might have said, well, sorry, we can only shoot in the month of July and, and crammed everything into, into July. Um, so similarly, we were able to shoot in a lot of different locations um, because we didn't have to worry about a big crew going to location and setting up. We said, hey, let's hop in the car and drive to this place and shoot there. Um, and so we were able to, to do a lot of a lot of locations, and really wasn't that difficult to turn to to break out of the set and turn it into a road movie. And one thing you had asked before about how we met Meg, and this ties into how we ended up making the movie, is that when I met Meg, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm I'm on the look for an I'm looking for an actress. When you're a small budget movie maker, you're always looking for an actor, an actress. You're looking for someone who can help out with the crew. You're looking for someone who can has a great, interesting location that you can bum from them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I met Meg. She was doing a cooking uh, shoot uh, for, 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 for a for photography dad, shoot. I used to have a personal chef business. So he and um, his wife came, and they uh, did the photo shoot for my website. We were the, we were the, yeah. the, the actors, and yeah, the mo- and she just happened to drop in, in small ch- small uh, small talk that oh yeah, I did acting back in New York City, and then in my mind I was going ding ding ding, <laughs> just met another actress. <laughs> so I filed that away, yeah. and a year or two years later, when I'm like, okay, I got to make my movie, I said, hey Meg. Remember two years ago you said you're an actress? Well, guess what I'm doing? And it went from there. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Well, the thing, too, on this road trip is, and it doesn't sound eerie. It does not sound like your usual Halloween chills movie. But you and your children walk into these deserted houses, and they're perfect suburban. Everything's clean. Everything's neat. It looks just like your next-door neighbor's house. But there's this sense of creepiness about it because of the setting and knowing there's the pandemic so i would think when you're trying to find you said you know low budget ways to do it you probably visited your friends houses is my guess we did there's one where the story opens up in the winter and you see some people being sick and then as you mentioned the time passes and it's springtime and, and later on, it seems to be summertime, and the guy's walking in, my character's walking into a place to, to just try to scavenge some food, and there's a fully decked out Christmas tree. Yeah. And uh, so, again, that's one of those things, you don't have to explain it, you don't have to have the character saying, oh, gosh, these people must have died right around Christmas, right? <laughs> the context uh, gives you that. Yeah. Um, but we were able to, we, we shot that during Christmas time. Again, the advantage of low-budget movie, we didn't have to cram everything into a July shoot. We could shoot over the course of several years. So I was actually visiting my relatives in in Baltimore, and it's like, hey, it's early morning. Everyone else is still sleeping. I got my camera. Let's shoot a scene. Oh, isn't that remarkable? It's really opportunistic filmmaking. Yeah. Well, you used it to good advantage. Um, One of the things that carries the plot forward is once you're on the move, you need a place to settle. And... I think that's what makes the movie kind of universal. It isn't one of these, you know, pandemic movies where you see fields of dead bodies. Or It's just a very individual look at it. And we all have a sense that we, we need to be in the right place. And um, when you first visit 
Do the characters have names? I don't even know. I was going to say Ned's really. place. Okay. I've kind of struggled with that for the poster and the credits, you know, because yeah. they're, they're very rich characters. Right. But then do I want to call them, you know, girl one, girl right. two, you know, yeah. farm woman? Yeah. Ultimately, that's kind of what I've been doing. And yeah. just trust that people will go see the movie and discover how rich okay, the characters so, are. Okay, so when I started to say the Meg character, for lack of the farm woman, <laughs> she's very independent, both because she has her chickens and, you know, she's able to live where you're going around with your, your characters, going around with your hammer, <laughs> trying to break into houses and steal little packages of processed food. Um, but you have this sense when you first visit there that this is the right place because Meg has a little boy who is friendly with the kids and then well, she's tough yeah she's very tough <laughs> she's, don't mess with her well it's just so nice to see you like this because you look very different <laughs> she's actually yeah, friendly very beautiful like, woman you oh, know with the you. long earrings and that but in the film the, those first scenes you're fierce you're yeah. just fierce and even when you return and the children play and you kind of accept it, that tour of the house where you're pointing where you can go and where you can't. We had a lot of conversations about this because there was like some struggle because I'm not naturally like that even though I'm a fierce person. So we're like definitely, he's like, do it again, you know, and like being like more like angry about it. I'm like, ah, but like we accomplished like what we needed to. Yeah, oh, you sure did. Oh man. It worked, it worked. And then there's a later scene where after you've gotten kind of a little comfortable with each other and no one knows what's behind the door to your room and you through gestures are inviting him in and he takes it almost like a proposition the way I read that scene (laughs) and and then you open the door and here is your very very sick husband behind the door and that's just such a poignant moment because it shows that you've developed a relationship and that, that there's something that goes beyond the fear that people feel in a situation like that and I just wonder how much of that chemistry is because you're friends or was this all what you learned with Levy and the the acting techniques I think at that point we were pretty comfortable with with each other because we had been working together for so long Um, and just basically whatever I find as an actor in general and like working with Joe like I trust Joe but also as an actor like when you're asked to do something you step up to the plate and do it that's what makes a good actor you step outside of your comfort zone and you do what needs to be done for the character and that's how you make it realistic and that's how you portray a story so he's like this is what we're trying to do so we did that. It, it, there were a couple of different types of experiences working with the actors. One, like Meg just mentioned, is when you know, Meg's, Meg's, Meg's an experienced actor, and so she gets she knows the drill, right? So you're you have to give each other trust, and you're working together to create something artistically. Uh, and then when you're working with kids. Sometimes they may have a short attention span or they don't understand the process of making the movie. They may not understand the full narrative. Well, they definitely didn't uh, know the full narrative because they didn't want to lay it on them. Oh, yeah, this is a pandemic movie and everyone's dying. So So these two young girls were playing these parts without knowing the larger arc of the story? Right. I would say in in this scene, this is what's happening. So you're curious here or you're 
or you're hiding something or you're feeling guilty. Or, and if, if it's late in the day and the kids just wanted a cookie or they wanted to get the heck out of there and go play with their friends and I knew I, I would lose them, I'd say, okay, you know, smile. Okay, okay, be, okay, frown. Or, you know, I would mimic it and they would do this. So, but then sometimes, you know, they would really go above and beyond. It would really surprise me. Oh, they were remarkable. They would. I, I mean, they would just ad lib things that you would think, wow, I mean, I've worked with trained actors who didn't do that. And just the little details, like there's one. Um habit that the young, there are two daughters, and that the younger daughter has, she loves to steal the little, uh, not twisty things, but the things that close up bread. bread. bread Yeah, those little plastic things, and there's a scene where she's admiring her collection, she kind of spreads it out like a flower, and you're just thinking, oh, this is true, this is childhood, even in the middle of this pandemic, you know, this is what kids do, but then it actually turns out to be part of the plot because when she provokes her sister her sister knows about her special private collection and sabotages her so through the movie there are these very anybody that's a mother there are these very sort of familiar things that you know the kids do and they seem so natural with each other and with you in their settings. Well, that's one thing I wanted to play with is that to I wanted the the movie to kind of go touch and go with the different feelings. It's a pandemic movie, right? But like you said, this is not a movie where there's a thousand dead bodies, uh, and we've got two young kids here, and kids kind of react to their their environment, and they're always trying to create a sense of normalcy, even when in a very abnormal. So, so I wanted to, to be able to show kids being kids. And also, sometimes the circumstances would draw that out. You know, if they're, if they're bad guys showing up, if they have to to run for their lives, literally. Um, and sometimes they would combine the two. For example, they, they they had played a game where they were playing doctor, but in this instance, they were coughing and realized this they may be recreating. Yes, it things, echoed your opening scenes. It right, was where very people actually died in the pandemic, and, yeah. and uh, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that you know the audience will kind of appreciate that. That's what. The kids are doing. And yeah, I guess there have been real life examples of that, you know, kids playing through the horror that they've lived through. Well, tell me about the music. It seems important. I saw in the credits you also composed music for this, and there's an opening as the first couple that we don't see again because they've died. Um, they're listening to, is it Beethoven? Yeah. On the radio, yeah. and then later one of the daughters at the piano is playing that. It seems to be kind of. How, tell us about how you use music in, in the film. Sure. Um, sound is important. Music's important because without dialogue, every now and then I just, I just wanted to spice it up with some audio, some music, um, some sort of other, um, other sounds. And again, making lemonade out of lemons, we, you know, we, don't, we don't have a budget to go out and buy popular music or modern music. So you get music from some old, old dead white guys, right? Uh, Beethoven. He doesn't, you know, you don't have to pay Beethoven anymore. Um, and the the actress, Mandy Smith, she has actually had been playing that tune on the piano. So I thought, hey, let's put that in the movie. Um, well, and also it's a nice counterpoint. Just it's such a, a light and sort of um, well-known score that it, it um, contrasts this sweating, suffering, dying that's going on in, in the midst of it. What about the pieces that you wrote? 
Yeah, that was just just goofing around on the piano. Um, I I not a great piano player. Um, some people in my family are taking lessons, and so I would just tinkle around. I thought, hey, I kind of like this chord progression here, and so I thought it might it might fit the mood for opening the movie. Um, has a little bit of a little bit of atmospheric sound to it, and then at the end, kind of did a little peppier version, and it just seemed to fit. Yeah. <clears throat> so, what is it you hope people will get out of this movie? What is it? Why did you go, both of you, to all this trouble to create this? I did it because it's fun. Making movies is fun. Uh, and I wanted to work with these people. I'd known the kids for a while, and I'd known uh, some of the other folks, and I met Meg. And I know from a previous acting and directing experience, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and then to be able to create, take the project that you worked on edit it and then show it to strangers and have them appreciate it that's a kind of a second level kind of enjoyment yeah I want to talk about the marketing of it and the prize you won but another thing I just wanted to reflect on and maybe you can both help me what struck me because dialogue is so rare in the movie it's only in the flashbacks your wife your husband and you know you know that you're remembering you don't have to do the fuzzy thing or anything because people are talking and that scene with your husband is just a tiny little scene in the kitchen and the boy is now i don't know waist high but he's you know in one of those slings so it's he's a baby and your husband is asking you sort of what you need and you're, you're just your face is entirely different your posture is entirely different than in the current time that the movie set and you're you say you know basically i don't need anything babe <laughs> i don't know that line but just tell a little about what it's like to go through this silent film and then have these tiny little with your wife or your husband these memories that were you playing like a different character almost then no i mean it's the same character if you reflect upon like in real life when you have a good moment um when you're in a good point in your life when everything is going well for the most part and you have the people around you that you love that was just that was her when she hadn't gone through all of this pain and like loss like they had both gone through so much loss like myself and Joe and the film like he lost his wife my husband was sick um so in in a sense I had lost him I had lost that aspect but when you go back to current day you see someone who's fighting for what she has, trying to protect what she has. She's essentially on her own. That's enough to change a person. Yeah, she's on guard. She's yeah, tense. she's on guard. And there's that one scene where she like holds hands with a little girl, and you just feel like, oh, you it's see the of... layers of who she was before all of that stuff happened to her yeah. as she starts to warm up to them. But um, when you've gone through that amount of pain, it does change you as a person. Yeah. So I know you won an award, and I have to look at my notes to see what it was. Um, the next big thing, Independent Filmmakers Festival, you got Stage 32 Prize. So tell us about the festival and, and what the prize sure. was. Sure, yeah. The next big thing, Independent Filmmakers Festival, it's actually an inaugural festival, first-year fest uh, down in Alexandria. And uh, you know we submitted um, an online screener, and we were fortunate enough to be one of the, the films selected. So I was thrilled just to be 
selected into the festival. And then I found out that was one of the, they gave uh, three different prizes and we were one of the prize winners. And so I thought, wow, this, this, is, this is really <laughs> rewarding. Because you do, you do all the work on the movie and you do it. The movie should be its own reward, and it is. It's fun. But then when someone else, you get the external validation, it's like, oh, well, this is even better. So really appreciate that. So how? what happens next with the film? How are you going to market it? Where can people eventually see it? Sure. Well, there's kind of a two-step process. This For the next 12 months or so, we've, we've already started submitting the film to festivals around the country, more so northeast region. Um, because I want, if I get into a festival, I want to be able to, to go to be able to drive there and promote the film and you know meet the the, the the festival goers. I've never been to a festival. Tell me what they're like. Have you been to to them too? Just could the two of you describe sure. the scene? A the film festival. Scene? There are many different types of it. There are big ones, little ones. There are regional regional ones. There might be ones for a specific theme, like a women's film festival or LGBT festival or. Environmental festival, um, so and you have to pick and choose. You, you know, unless you've got a, you know unlimited budget for festival fees. So I, I, you know, I've been submitting them to festivals that are on the smaller scale side, and that more regional that might have an interest in it into a local or regional filmmaker. And so basically, film festivals operate on the idea that you know we're people who love films and. There's an audience for something that's off the beaten path. You know, if you want to go see a Hollywood movie, you just go to the multiplex. Um, if you want to see an independent movie, it's a little easier nowadays with Netflix and everything else. But there's still something something magical about coming to a theater with other people who love movies and watching something new and getting just a, a different perspective. And uh, there's an audience for that. There's an audience for that most every place you go. And so the fun thing about being at a festival is not just going to see the movies, but being with some like-minded folks. And it's kind of like going to a, to a, um, a, and to see an art show. If you have people there who enjoy you know, staring at a painting and getting something out of it. And uh, so there's that, that camaraderie there. It's a very different experience to be around people who love films. And who love like who like can like spend time like interpreting it. So I definitely see what you're saying at that. Yeah, they probably share the same vocabulary and see things that people like myself don't really see because we haven't made one before. It's not to say that you have to be a film expert or anything like that. Yeah. If you just like to watch movies, you can go to a film festival and you have an opportunity to see something that you might not see at the regular theater. So, so at what point is the general public going to be able to see this film? Tentatively, we're planning to do a theatrical release about a year from now, next October, uh, certainly in Albany and s- s- perhaps some uh, surrounding areas as well. And if we do well at festivals, um, what you hope for is you do well at festivals, you win some awards, and you get some interest from a film distributor who might say, well, we want to pick up your movie and we're going to... Uh, promote your movie, and we're going to distribute it uh, on a wider basis. So that's that's what we hope for. But if that doesn't work out, we'll just we're in a theater and uh, sell some tickets uh, locally. And then and then thanks to the internet, we, you can put it up on the internet, and there are various uh, platforms for doing that. So you could so you people know, can buy people it, can, and download yeah, it, watch it. Yeah, watch it for a dollar, buy it for five dollars, or whatever whatever the pricing may be. 
So, Meg, I want to hear what's next for you as an actress. And I'd love it if you could back up. I think it was in September that you put on When Color Girls Consider Suicide, When the Rainbow Isn't Enough. What, what, um, what are you doing in the future? And tell us a little about that. Hey, so um, <clears throat> we're, uh, for Color Girls, that was a production that I did in September at the Albany Barn. It's been a play that has been on my mind for 10 years, so a decade. Um, it was, I picked up the choreo poem at a cafe and uh, during a point in my life where I was having a really rough time. And art to me, like performance, the art that I make um, is all about what I interpret in everyday life, like about humanity, like how people interact, about like my own self. So that was really a passion project for me. Um, and I used that play to tell a story about all the things that women go through. And we did a shadow screen. So we took the play, the script, and we did the script as is, but added contemporary artistic elements. So I also choreographed. We had additional dance numbers. There was music. There was a shadow screen. So we had shadows playing in the background, memories. We used all different parts of the theater. We did immersive parts of the show. It was a very um, wonderful, exhausting, cathartic <laughs> experience. I, well, that's the beauty of live theater, but it also makes me so sad because I missed it. You can't go see it like you can see a film later. It exactly. Was, yeah. But here's the thing. The next project I'm working on was born out of doing that project. So I'm creating a documentary film that I decided to do when we were working on the play. So I have footage of the theatrical performance, footage of rehearsals, interviews. That documentary is about self-love post-trauma. So it's about women and the trauma they go through and how they heal from it and what happens after how you do the work well i have to have you back once you finish the documentary that's fascinating yeah. so part of the footage is going to be from the rehearsals and performance exactly. that happened in september but you're interweaving it with interviews with and interviews from other people if we get some funding i'd like to do some like larger scale interviews in different communities but as for now just like local interviews which i think would be a very interesting documentary is it focusing on women of color or is it trauma in general it's a majority of women of color but I'm also interviewing women who are not of color. So it's really about the story, you know, because I find in the play for Colored Girls, it was primarily about women of color. It was about women of color. But there are aspects of that play that, that are all universal women can connect to. Speak to a white person like yeah, me. Yeah, speak to a white person, yeah. you know, like, and it's all about, like, I feel like it's finding the humanity, being able to see something through someone else's eyes and that's what art shows us it takes us on a journey that we otherwise are resistant to or we're not open to we don't experience it allows us to see what we do not see and with this documentary with doing the play that's what I want to show Sounds very ambitious, but very worthwhile. So I guess we are almost, we are out of time. But just to kind of turn that back on you, Joe, what is it from your film, using Meg's 
kind of frame for why you do art. What What is it you hope that it taught people or showed people that they might not have thought of had they not seen your film? Well, you know, I, I, I think there's a connection. If, if, we're, if you do art well, you're going to have a connection between the artist and the, the audience. And, you know, that's something that we strove for when we're, when we're making the movie and we're editing the movie. And uh, that's something I got out of Meg's play. I went to see it at the Albany Barn. It was a very powerful experience. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think you had two good projects there. And I'm looking forward to seeing Meg's documentary. And just to follow up, you had asked where to, to see the movie. Yeah. And I was remiss. I didn't tell you that we have a website, www.theplacejustright.com. If you go there, you can see a two-minute trailer of the movie and see read about the actors and well, that's the good. I'm glad you got that out there because people can, sign can up. Then check that. And sign up, and we'll tell you'll you when, know when, when the movie's going to be around. Right. Great. Well, do either of you have any closing thoughts? I know you have many, many deep thoughts, but things that you think are so uh, important also, that we didn't touch Megafonzo.com. on. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've been to that website. That's really a, a really exciting website. You've got a lot on there. But any any philosophical clothing, closing thoughts? Anything to leave our listeners with as they go about their busy lives? I feel like you know, like what I kind of get from Joe and from myself is like, if you feel the desire to make art, do it. You know. Yeah. We yeah. need more art in the world. Good art, thoughtful art. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think Meg said it all. Great. Well, thank you so much.